the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. There's no better place to get NFL free agency predictions, breakdowns, cap casualties, trade requests. It's all there right now. It is the time of year now where you want maximum content, and The Athletic has an unbelievable surplus of content, more than you can even handle. If you're on SpotTrack.com, looking at your favorite team's finances for the upcoming free agency, the most recent athletic articles for your team are right there on SpotTrack. We love that partnership. Visit theathletic.com slash SpotTrack. Get yourself 40% off your first year subscription today. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Thursday, March 11th. Six days from the league year. Four days from the tampering period. The franchise window has passed. We have 10 franchise tags offered. How many of those will re-sign? Remains to be seen. I think there'll be a good chunk of that. I think. I mean, Dak is obviously one of them, who's kind of a semantic franchise tag, already signed. We've done enough on that. No more Dak talk. We are going to have Buffalo Bills talk today. Sal Capaccio, the Buffalo Bills beat reporter for WGR 550 and the sideline reporter for the Bills TV network, will be joining us. All things Bills. Josh Allen's future contract. What kind of offseason moves can we expect from Buffalo? the really change of culture that GM Brandon Bean has brought to the Buffalo Bills that has not only changed them on the field, but when you look at these contracts and the structure and the evolution of them, really the process that was put in place, I know that's an, that's an overused buzzword, but the process that's in place in Buffalo that has come with the Brandon Bean administration has been kind of, uh, what's the best word to say here? Revolutionary. I'm going to put it that way. And Sal's got some great insight into that. So a good back and forth between him and I breaking down some bills numbers Then we're going to switch gears to the other side of free agency, NFL player agent, Shane Costa rejoins us, a good friend of the show. What's changed this off season in terms of being an agent, trying to represent not only current players, but prospects coming out of college as they prepare for the draft, uh, a weird combine, weird workout training sessions, pro days, things like that. Um, you know, how is that, how is our player agents handling that? And also, with six days until free agency, what's the game plan for 2021? You know, cap crunch, maybe smaller contracts, maybe a lot of void years. What does Shane have to say about how the next couple of days might be going in terms of negotiations with your current team or what's going to happen when you get to the open market? And also, what has the NFLPA, the union, been saying to these agents to sort of either help them through this process or to make sure that there's some integrity with these contracts once the window opens up? A lot of interesting stuff from him as well on the backside of this show. Thrilled to be joined by the Buffalo Bills beat reporter for WGR 550 and the official Bills sideline reporter, Sal Capaccio. Sal, good to have you on the show. Uh, always a big fan of your work. You are as close to the Bills as anybody in the Western New York area. It's got to be a good time to be in your job finally, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I grew up in Western New York and I was in college for all the, the Super Bowls. Well, the first one that was a senior in high school. So, you know, I grew up watching this team going through all that. And then obviously through the drought and now here I am, you know, covering the team and it's my first six years on the sidelines, you know, obviously had a couple of uh, playoff appearances, but then nothing like this year. And then of course they do it in a year where nobody can really enjoy it. And that's, that's what I miss Mike. That was, it was a great year to be a part of it. There's no doubt, but not having the fans there to enjoy it with really took a lot of the luster away. Exactly. It's such a Buffalo situation, right? <laughs> finally, yeah, right. finally. And then yeah. of course there's that void. 
If I told yep. you that the Buffalo Bills had a quarterback that valued at $42.2 million right now, your thoughts would be? <laughs> wow. Um, I agree with you. I think you did a great job of laying it out back in December, even before, you know, Dak's new deal. But, you know, to think that we could get to this spot with Josh Allen, if you would have said that to me three years ago that, hey, in three years, you know, after they drafted him, Josh Allen's going to command a 40 plus million dollar salary. I'd be like, holy cow, does that mean he's already won two Super Bowls? But this is where we go, right? I mean, we know Patrick Mahomes and what he signed. And now these guys are, you know, putting their, themselves up in that $40 million category like Dak. Dak so, but it's, it's good. This is Brandon Bean has always told us since the day he drafted Josh Allen, I hope I have to pay him someday. That means he's good. And guess what? Here he is. He's going to have to pay him. Yeah. Three years ago, the entire city of Buffalo was wondering why they chose Josh Allen and not Josh Rosen, if I remember correctly. Right. It was the yeah, wrong Josh. Right. Yeah, that's right. And now, you know, I think Josh had a lot to fight through with the the negativity surrounding him, you know, nationally. And people really dug in their heels and just wanted to be right on him. He's, he's just proving people wrong every step of the way. I think there's still a lot of people who think that he's still not, you know, that he's going to plateau. He's going to take a step back. I mean, we talk about the salary, the contract. I've, I've had a lot of people say to me on social media, well, they should wait because look what happened with Carson Wentz. Look what happened with Jared Goff. And, and if, if Dable leaves, that could happen with him. But, you know, I, I mean, I think the bills aren't going to bet against Josh Allen. They're going to bet on Josh Allen. Yeah. Why wouldn't they? You know, I, I mean, the fifth right. year option numbers out, it's a value. We all, we, we know now what he's worth over the next two years. So once you have that kind of framework and then you can put a franchise tag value into it, that's just that's the starting point with these quarterbacks because it's going to be top value. There's no there's no coming down on a quarterback contract anymore, even in this pandemic. And Dak Prescott just proved that. So if it's going to get done now, it, it to me it's less about the numbers and more about the structure. You mentioned Goff. There's a very big difference between Jared Goff and Carson Wentz in terms of how those two contracts were structured and how easy it was to a get out or or at least trade that player. And, and to me, that's. That's always how you have to think. Yes, if your quarterback's good, you want to pay him. But yes, you have to give yourself a bit of an out. So uh, look at every, you've been as close to these as, as I have, Sal. These Brandon Breen structures, they're pretty flexible. They're pretty team friendly. Yeah. He's gotten some guys that really kind of come onto his side in terms of how he wants to run the business, uh, even without a lot of clout. You know, a new GM, a bad team that he had to purge really with a big time dead cap year. Somehow he he got guys to buy into his structure and it has benefited this team for now at least two years, right? Yeah, and you know you you bring a great point on that because you, I think John Brown's a great example, yeah. right? I mean they signed John Brown, he did a great job for them, and you know I think there was a question: Are they going to move on? Are they not? They finally did, and I think a lot of it had to do with where the salary cap went. Who knows if the cap is in a normal year if they do that? But it allowed them the structure of signing him. It allowed them to get out of the contract only 1.5 dead, 1.6 dead. And, you know, they're saving close to $8 million next year. Cole Beasley's in the exact same situation as John Brown is this year. Very little dead money to get out of the contract. If they wanted to do that, if they had to do that, who, you know, hopefully they don't and he catches a hundred passes. Right. But if they had to do that, they could do that. The same thing with Quentin Jefferson, Vernon Butler, if they want to a little to a lesser degree, a guy like Mario Addison, but when it comes to Josh Allen and the structure, yeah, you know, it's funny they already have a structure also that I think that they could use for Josh. And that is what they did with Tredavious white. As you know, they picked up Tredavious white's fifth year option. Mm -hmm. Then they signed him to an extension, but they didn't let the extension really kick in until after the fifth year option. So it was really kind of a six year deal because he had the fourth year still remaining. He had the fifth year option. They were going to keep intact and then four more years. 
but they gave him money in those first two years to make up for, you know, his base salary. Basically, I think they could do that with Josh. if They want to spread the cap out. And I think that's the way to do that. And then the other point, you know, uh, of it is, is what you said too. It's never going to go down. You think about it. You still have Lamar that's got to get paid. Baker's going to look to get paid. Yeah. We all know Baker's not worth what Josh Lamar is, but certainly that's going to still be something his agent's going to look at. And then next year you have Kyler Murray. And then the year after that, you have Tua and Herbert and Burrow. And if you keep waiting, who knows when these guys sign and you have to trump that. Right. Not to mention the cap may be 230 at that point. And Correct. You know, 20, yeah, right. 19% of 230 is a lot different than what we have right now. That's for darn sure. Um, yeah, the Tredavious White deal is certainly the one to look at because it's one of the bigger deals the Bills have had in franchise history. Uh, I wonder if it's if it even goes longer, Sal. I wonder if this is sort of a hybrid Mahomes situation for Josh Allen where it's an eight-year total deal, you know, six New Year's tacked on. Um, look, Dak Prescott's deal is six years with two void years. You can be creative and do that if you want, um, but it's all about, for me, giving yourself flexibility with that second and third-year cap it, which is going to be the big balloon. Um, here's the thing, and I want to kind of dial it back a little. If you look at the, the Bill's salary cap right now, they have zero restructures, zero, not right. one. They haven't done it. That's what I mean. That's what I'm talking about with Brandon Bean's structure. There's always an out, even if it's after one year. There is some sort of way out of these contracts without having to bleed a little bit. It's he's going to have to do it this year, in my opinion. And I thought it was going to be Morse. He just somehow got him to take a pay cut instead. But um, two points to make. One is that, that the restructures just haven't been a part of this process yet. Um, and two, the staggering. It, it is it is such a brilliant process to take when you are trying to build from the bottom up, which is what he had to do when he got here. It, think of it this way. Jordan Poyer gets done last year. Micah Hyde's this year. You have Starla up in two years. You have Vernon Butler next year. There is always a, a year later replacement mm -hmm. for the guy you're going to cut this year. He's already on the roster. You mentioned Beasley, who's, who's there now to back up John Brown's release. The, That's right. The, the, the outs in the contracts are one year apart from each other positionally so that they don't have to freak out and go overpay for somebody necessarily. The replacement is already here. If they can upgrade it, they'll do it. But to me, that has been the, no the most noticeable change with how this team has been built is we're not going to bring in five guys at once and hope that that becomes our core. It's we're going to slow play this thing and, and, and really try to make this an, an evolution rather than a slam dunk one year, let's get it done. I, I think it's brilliant. I, I, I've been saying it over and over on a lot of different radio shows, Sal, and I know you've been kind of preaching this as well, but uh, whenever it is time for Josh Allen, I'm going to believe that Brandon Bean knows exactly when that is. You know, there's already a plan in place. Yeah, I wonder, you know, I've been asked too about, you know, if it's a, Mahomes type deal and I do wonder if they say look we would love to do that but we'd be concerned about the way he plays and if we need to have to like we we want it not that they're predicting he's going to get injured but the way he plays do we want to tie ourselves eight nine ten years down the road you have to remember obviously as you know they came from Carolina they watched Cam Newton right and the way he played and I think that's got to be a part of the equation part of the, part of the process of is Josh going to be the same player are we still paying him that high money and what that value if we sign that long-term deal so I do think it will be like longer than four years. Is it up to eight or nine? I don't know. Maybe a five or a six year deal might make sense or something like that just because of the way he plays. You know, we'll see. And then also the other part of this is it goes hand in hand, right? I mean, Sean McDermott has done a great job. He has a really good staff. And when the bills look and Brandon Bean says, okay, as you said, I could have his replacement already on the roster. I think they also feel confident in the way that the staff has developed 
developed players that, mm-hmm. hey, he might not be there right now, but we know that this guy is going to be able to step into that role. I'll give you a great example. I think, and I've been saying this, Mike, I, I think Ryan Bates is a candidate to start at right tackle next year. They really love Ryan Bates, and they might feel, why are we going to pay Daryl Williams whatever he's going to pay at right tackle when we got a guy making less than a million dollars that we feel really good about that we've developed for two years? That's perfect. Yeah, that's exactly how this seems to be working. I mean, next man up, you know, it, it, it's it's a year forward year for Ed Oliver, who's going to be the replacement for one of those two names I just mentioned. Yeah, to, you're right. It's there's a process in place. All right, let's let's swing to the to the positions where there's definite holes. You mentioned the offensive line there with Williams and, and Feliciano is kind of in that group as well. Um, yeah. Let's just kind of let's go more surfacey. It's it's a weird year, you know. I, I just spent some time talking free agency and how this thing may unfold from an agent's perspective. From a team perspective, what kind of a, of an inkling are you getting from the front office in Buffalo? Of because this is a team that could do two things: they can kind of pause and and kind of use what they have right now and just see where what, where it can get them in twenty twenty one, or they can they can push the gas pedal down a little bit more. You know, they don't necessarily have to, I don't think. But what does that mean for free agency in the Buffalo Bills? I think they're looking full steam ahead. I think they're more on the gas pedal part, and I think what sealed that for me is. When Kim Pagula was actually on NFL Network earlier this week as um, International Women's Day, I think it was the day that she was on, and she said, you know, the expectations, the bar hasn't been raised, the floor has been raised, is what she said, which was really interesting, meaning we expect to be exactly where we were at least next year. And when you say that publicly, you're basically telling your organization, hey, keep going. This is what we need to do. This is what I expect out of you. And, And I think the Bills know that they have a Super Bowl window right now, even with Josh Allen's contract right now. Whether he signs mm-hmm. this offseason or not, I don't expect him to have this huge balloon payment in 2021. Maybe that happens, but they're still in that rookie window, right? They still have a chance to do some things around the roster. I, I think this team feels now is the time. We are close. Yep, we didn't play our best game against Kansas City. The gap is as big as it looked. We have a chance to win a Super Bowl. Why? Why take a step back? Why even slow down a little bit? We need to keep going forward as much as we can. So that's all facets then you think everything's on the table, you know, a couple of major free agents, uh, maybe a trade acquisition, everything's on the table at this point. I do. I think that for sure. I think, um, even looking into trades, if that's the way they have to do it, uh, I, I obviously there's no doubt they're a little bit crunched here with the cap, right? I mean, everybody, every team is in the same situation with not having it go up as much the bills now. I mean, I think they're like, uh, you have the numbers. They're probably like top third of the league now, maybe in cap space created like 18, wherever they are, something like that. So, you know, whether that's at their top half, at least, so at least they're not in a horrible position. We know that they're going to have to make some choices, but I think they also see around the league that other teams are having some issues too. And, you know, even the, the teams that have the most cap are the teams that really aren't your threat, right? The teams that are the teams you're fighting with, maybe Cleveland though, it, it could be a team like that, but even like Kansas city, they're in a really tight spot. So I think the Bills see still an opportunity to catch those teams in front of them. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think this is a, a good year to, to strike, um, knowing that there's going to be much of this core here for the long term, at least a, you know, a two, three-year window. And you don't have to be too careful about where you are right now. You know, If it means you're right up against the cap this year, then so be it. I know that's not how he likes to operate, but um, you know, what about retaining you know, is, is John Feliciano, Daryl Williams, Matt Milano, I guess those are the three big ones. Is there any chance in your opinion that these guys are back or is it going to be a waiting, a waiting game with all three? Yes, I do. I think any, any of them could come back. I, I think the bills are very much still interested in bringing back Matt Milano. This is going to come down to what his offers are going to be from outside Buffalo. Um, I believe the bills are going to make him an offer before next Wednesday. Okay. We'll see what that, you know, he'll, he'll have to weigh that offer. 
you know, whether they tell him, hey, we need an answer now or not, I mean, that's always a chance. Um, you know, maybe he gets the free agency, he weighs his offers, he comes back, or the Bills move on. I do believe the Bills are very interested in keeping Matt Milano. I've also been told, and I know this, that Matt Milano would like to stay in Buffalo, but certainly, you know, he's he's going to do what's best for him. And, you know, if another team is going to come way over the top, then he's going to wind up doing that. I wonder about John Feliciano, Mike. You know, I was all in on – I never thought John Feliciano would leave Buffalo as we as we went through this earlier, you know, when the offseason started. But one of the things I thought was maybe they would move him to center, move on from Mitch Morse. Yeah. They didn't do that. We know Morse is coming back. And I wonder, does Feliciano want to play center? Now, you tell me, is there a better market for center than guard? His agent could market him as a center. Say, look, he plays center. Maybe does he get more money that way? I'm not sure. Because I I think if that's the case, then he's probably gone. But, you know, there's a lot of interior linemen available. Uh, There's going to be the market is probably going to push those guys and their numbers down. So I think that helps the fact that, you know, the Bills might be able to still bring him back. And I do think he wants to play here. He'd love to play here. But I, I wonder if he wants to play center. As far as Williams, I just don't know if the Bills are going to get to the point of being able to pay him, knowing the position he plays, the fact that he was an all-pro a few years ago. He had that great uh, game on national television against uh, T.J. Watt. And again, I think the Bills believe in the guys they have, like Ryan Bates. What do they think about Cody Ford? I'm not sure. And I think that they can feel that either A, they can replace him in-house, or B, do what they did and find someone else just like him, like they did last year, this year. Do you have a sense that there's maybe one or two cap casualties coming on this team? Or do you think that it's a it's a pause right now and, and let's see who else is cut elsewhere and kind of reshuffle our priorities in the next week or so? I get that sense more so. I, I think um, they're going to evaluate the landscape, see what they see happens. And if they see something happens around the league, then they'll, okay, let's do this. If they maybe feel that they're going to re-sign Matt Milano and they have to create a little more room, to do some other things, I think that's when you'll see it. But because of we've had a couple of pay cuts, Morse and Butler, yeah. and because we got the news of Jefferson, excuse me, and Brown on the same day and no one else was with it, I get the feeling there's a little bit of a, a wait here, and maybe we'll hear something on Monday or Tuesday after the legal tampering period starts, and then they start to get more of a feel of what's going on. I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, the the trade weapon has been extremely powerful for Brandon Bean in his t- in his tenure here in Buffalo. Which position do you think he's targeting with a trade this year? If he targets a trade, to me, it's edge rusher. And the reason is because edge rushers are guys who don't come in right away. That position doesn't translate immediately into sacks in the NFL. You can draft one. First of all, you usually don't get a really great edge rusher at 30. And even if you do, he's not great until later. Now, TJ Watt actually was the 30th pick, I believe, if I remember correctly. And he had like seven and a half sacks his rookie year, which is nice, but it's not what he, who he is now. You have to wait on that. The Bills don't want to wait. They need, they need someone now, I think, at that position. So to me, if he's going to – the fact that they were even in the mix for J.J. Watt tells me that they believe they have to upgrade there and are willing to spend assets, whether that's money or valuable draft assets or whatever it is. I think that's the, tar- that's the position he would target. I agree. I do agree. And my plan B would be a cornerback. Because I think both positions right now, there, there's some teams that have overpays on their roster and they're looking for some some late round assets just to get them out of there in ter- instead of just having them be cap casualties. I think that's when these teams can strike, these contenders. And it's just a better way to do business right now. You're getting rid of that signing bonus dead cap. You're getting a guy in on your terms and you can restructure as you need. I think it's a really important weapon for a lot of these contending teams right now. And I expect to see a flurry of them over the next week. So good stuff from you, man. This, is, this has been great. We'll do it again, I'm sure, when uh, Josh Allen... <laughs> 
uh, does yeah. officially. Uh, what do you think? What's your prediction? Do you think it happens this offseason? Can I give you my prediction first? Give me your prediction. It happens on July 16th. <laughs> nice. All right. Very nice. Um, I predict it happens during training camp. Okay. So, where yeah. It's there. It's there. He's at camp. It's like, hey, it's a. It's more of a, you know, because there's a PR element involved, right? Not that you'll wait specifically to that, but it's nice to do that when everybody's around. He's he's with his guys, you know, everybody can talk about that as they head into the season. That's what they basically did with Tredavious White last year, right before the season. Are you expecting it to be north of Dak in all regards? No. Um, okay. Guarantees. What is what are, what are actual Dax guarantees? Ninety five was it even more than that. It, I, I saw some that said one twenty five. I'm like, I don't think he got that in guarantees. Did he? It's ninety five now. That goes to one twenty six next year. <laughs> I can't see that. I I mean maybe, but that guaranteed money is way above what anybody else has. You know, mm-hmm. so I don't know if it goes that far and that high in guarantees. I expect it to be a higher annual an, an, average average than Dak. Um, a higher total value than Dak, but probably not higher in guarantees. Fair enough. What do you think? Is that right, or you think? I do because I think it's going to be more long term. I think this is about the long, the long game, and right. not so much the short game. I mean, Dak got a, got an NBA contract here. You know what I mean? High impact, yeah. short. He wants to get out by thirty one and do this again. That doesn't seem to be the feeling Josh Allen and the Bills have right now. It's more of a long play. So I think they can spread yeah. things out, some rolling guarantees, some you know, some outs yep. as necessary. A little bit more team friendly in my opinion, but it's coming. At some point it's coming. You know that. Thanks so much, Sal. This was great. You're welcome, buddy. Thanks for all you do. Thrilled to have our friend of the show back. He's the director of football operations and a player agent for Generation Sports Group, Shane Costa. Shane, welcome back to the show. Um, let's open with this. Yeah, thanks so much for yeah. having me. Yeah, let's open with how crazy are things right now for you? How different is 2021 from 2020? Because really, you had more of a normal off season. You kind of got that. You snuck that stuff in before. You know, honestly, today's the anniversary of when everything shut down. Um, just how different is life right now in terms of being a sports agent? Yeah, you know, I mean, needless to say, uh, you know, we're looking at a year ago now from you know, when, when everything happened with COVID emerging, you know, right in the middle of kind of business going down and, and that really shook things up, but to an extent, you know, with last year, uh, in terms of the business process, a lot of things were still the same, but this year is still just kind of handling the reverberations of everything going on. I mean, you know, we had to adjust a little bit last year, but at least a lot of the pro days had been done, or at least some of them, the combine had been done, you know, um, so some of it was normal, uh, but certainly kind of transitioning into, um, you know, free agency is when a lot of that happened. But the cap was already set and, mm-hmm. and a lot of the financials were were figured out, whereas this year it's certainly been a challenge uh, in terms of just there's been a big shakeup with, you know, the amount of money available and the cap. And, and certainly you've seen a lot of, you know, the, the different releases or, you know, the, the transactions going on around the league. Um, it's been a lot different for sure. So it's kind of been two years or at least two off seasons of, of different challenges for sure. But I think everybody's just, you know, trying to handle it the best we can for sure. Yeah. I have to imagine you're living on zoom right now for the most part in a lot of capacities. Um, you mentioned the combine. I've heard a little bit about it from the people that are kind of in our neck of the woods. I haven't heard too much about it. Well, you know, I know it's more of a dog and pony show than anything, you know, it's a TV show for a lot of reasons especially right. the actual exercise part of it. Um, 
I imagine though, just the interactions are what you miss the most. Is is that kind of you know what you're missing out on? That you know the steaks and the beers where you can kind of bump elbows and 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 forge those kind of relationships and also get your clients in the same boat, right? Bumping elbows. Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing with with having no combine is that you know the, the teams will tell you the most important part for them is getting the the, the medical information, you know, on, on players and on prospects and. To, to an extent, it's a little bit different this year because they're with combine invitees this year, they're trying to, they're doing medicals more on like a regional or local basis and testing is going to happen at pro days, but it's, it's, you know, I mean, normally you're in a centralized location and, and you nailed it. I mean, a big part of the, the combine for, you know, um, agents and, and for team representatives are start to get together you know, talk about, um, you know, players that you might have on the roster, talk about who you have in the, in the combine, you know, kind of begin to canvas everything going on and set the table for things to come both in, in free agency and obviously with the draft. And you're right. I mean, a, a big part of it is getting together and, and having people talk, you know, talk shop really and kind of build those relationships and network. And that's not happening this year. Certainly uh, not to the extent that it normally does. So it's been a challenge, but you know, I think everybody's just doing the best they can. You know, obviously, as you said, a lot of Zoom meetings and a lot of phone calls as, a, as opposed to doing things in person. But, you know, we're, we're we're handling things, I think, just like the rest of the country is, you know, just adapting and taking it a day at a time. Is it ever going back to how it was in 2019, for instance? You know, what part of your job do you think is not going to, to boomerang back to how it used to be? Yeah, I, I'll tell you, being an agent, we're, we're used to working pretty remotely. Uh, to a certain extent, just because our clients are all over the country and teams are all over the country. So we're certainly used to, you know, being on the phone or on Zoom, you know, because we can't be 32 places at once, needless to say. But I'll tell you, in terms of, you know, let's take the combine, for example. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, there's always been a lot of speculation about whether it would move away for Indy. And um, I'll tell you, speaking from an agent perspective, we certainly don't want it to move away from Indy. Um, I'm pretty confident most teams don't want it to move away from Indy because it's just so convenient. Everybody's used to it. It's, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a ritual at this point. Right. But you've heard rumors of them maybe wanting to move it uh, to a bigger city or, you know, maybe rotating it among cities and and who knows what's going to happen. But I, I hope, I hope it returns there, but but who knows? I think with the league canceling it this year, maybe that sets the stage mm-hmm. to change it entirely and what that would look like. I don't know. I would assume it would return to an in-person event at some point, but whether that's in Indianapolis or not, you know, I don't know. You mentioned how, you know, the lack of combine means the lack of kind of bumping elbows with some of these age- agents. The NFLPA, however, has basically come out and said, hey, you guys all need to get together at some point and and, and somewhat collude this offseason so that there isn't a price gouge so that, you know, player X doesn't get A and players and players B through Z get, you know, L. You know what I mean? So that there's not this gigantic gap between elite versus middle class because everybody kind of knows what's coming here. Uh, we're already starting to see it with these cap casualties. Can you kind of speak to what what was said in terms of the memo and your thoughts on how that might work out, or is it really just hope, you know, wishful thinking at this point? Well, 
I think, you know, the, the, the union and, and, and obviously not to speak for D. Smith, but yeah. I, I think the, the, the point certainly was was just that, hey, you know, communication and information sharing is really important and, and maybe as important as it now than it is than it ever has been, really. Um, and, and I think, look, you know, when when you're on the agent side and there's 2000 different players, you know, that's that's a lot of information to share, but it becomes even more important. Right. Because it's it, it can be. You know, um, when you're facing some challenges as as players are in the league right now, uh, the more information you have and the more understanding, um, the, the better you can really, you know, determine things like, hey, you know, what are the true market values, you know, in, in a year when the cap has gone down for the first time in quite a while and, and certainly never this steep. So I think that was the point of the union. Hey, if we can if we can get together, if we can share information, if we can talk, communicate we're all going to be in a better spot. And I think that was really their point. And, you know, hopefully that can be done. You know, I think a lot of people use the word collude to, to describe that conversation. But for me, it was more so just saying, hey, let, let's talk, let's communicate, let's share information so we all can put ourselves in a better situation. What do you think the, the biggest concern and the biggest reason for that kind of a message being sent out is, Shane? Is it, are, is it you know, Patrick Peterson taking a, a vet minimum salary to join the Chiefs this year? would be extremely damaging to the secondary market for, for the offseason? Is it something like that where there's concern that, um, you know, somebody takes a crazy deal with a contender and that becomes now the market reset for how this free agent season is going to work? Well, I, I think the one of the biggest things to mention about it is that information sharing in any year is really important, you know, and, and I think in an ideal world, there'd be a lot more communication regardless if you're facing the challenges that 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 you know players in the union are, are facing this year so to that extent i mean you know really it's 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 been a lot about you know let's just let's just get together and talk a little bit more and let's kind of yeah. have uh, uh some more communication i think this year again you know like you mentioned not specific to the situation you brought up but i think this year yeah you know you're going to have a lot of teams you know, taking a lot of different positions about what uh, a lowered cap means. You know, you're going to have some teams that say, hey, you know, deals are going to be lower because the cap's lower. And certainly you're always going to have agents saying market value is is market value. You know, you're not going to have a player who's a free agent, you know, all of a sudden take less just because the cap is less this year. I mean, we all know it's eventually going back up. And depending what happens, you know, on the business side of things, maybe it goes up pretty quickly, you know, and sooner than, than many people might think. So I think that's a lot of it. You know, it's just, we want to share information in any year, you know, we want to make ourselves better by, by being more knowledgeable about what's going on out there. But certainly this year, it's more important because again, there's going to be a lot of positions taken by a lot of different teams, a lot of different philosophies adopted. We just want to make sure that a lot of this is shared so that, you know, you can put yourself in a better position to get a better deal for your client. How important do you think JJ Watts contract was to kind of kick this whole off season off? I know you can't speak to, to his representation directly, but uh, sure. the fact that it had the void years, the fact that it was somewhat cap friendly this year with a big ballooning cap in year two, I just looked at that style and that structure, Shane, as kind of the prototypical poster child for what an elite contract can be in this current situation, in this climate with a team that they didn't really have the cap space or or the roster to really warrant that kind of a signing, uh, it just kind of seemed like a like a warning shot to hey this can get done with the right kind of players. 
I think I think you're absolutely right. I mean, kudos to to not only you know uh, JJ but also Dak and his agents too. Yeah. I think those two deals you know coming out now that are really great deals for the players and and I think I think a lot of agents around the league will smartly point to those two deals and say, you know, uh, th- these are two players uh, and, and that got these deals done that are you know market value. You know, they didn't go down. Dak's deal was really good for him. It was great for him. Uh, JJ's was too. And I think, I think you're right. I think it's really important to, to kind of have those tone setters, you know, for players around the league to say, well, you know, again, the cap's going down a little bit, but market value for a particular player isn't, and it shouldn't go down. And so I, I think you're right. I think that was really important to see those two deals come out soon. Um, and, you know, have them be as good as they were for the players. Absolutely. You know, I, I mentioned the void years there. I get a lot of questions on that, and, and I'm happy to answer them. But um, just the or, or, you know, the origin of it, it's fascinating to me. You know, do you have any, any kind of concept of where this first came from? Who kind of broke this loophole out? Um, because, look, the DAC contracts chain – they built in a void year that's blank right now. <laughs> they built a, they added a sixth year void year just because they know it's built into the language. They're going to restructure next year's salary already. It's already there. It's already set in stone and documented that the that the blank year is there for cap purposes. I mean, that's how far this thing is going now. It's it, it, there's no return in, in my opinion. Uh, we're going to see dozens of deals that have them. Any idea kind of who was the first to jump on that train? Well, it, it's certainly it hasn't been used a ton in, in prior years. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to, to tell you, you know, the absolute first void year deal. Um, but I can tell you this, I mean, it was, it was used more on rare occasions in prior years, but you've really seen it this year and in deals post, you know, COVID where we knew the cap would go down because, you know, teams were looking for ways to spread out, you know, these hits. And I think, I think the philosophy is, look, the, the cap's going to keep going up after right. this year. There's going to be more space. So let's spread out, you know, some of the pain of these hits instead of taking a, a you know, a big, uh, a big hit this year or in the immediately, you know, the immediate future years um, where, again, we know things are going to go up, things are going to get better. It's, you know, let, let, let's maybe find a smart way to structure these things, you know, and again, hope that it keeps going up and that things return to normal. So, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think you're going to see, you know, especially with some of the big deals. I think you're going to see it spread out. And, and you know, there will still be some teams that shy away from it, for sure. But um, you're right. It's definitely it's definitely more pronounced now, and it's probably going to continue that way. Yeah, if anything, this is the takeaway from this year is going to be that teams are no, most teams are absolutely no longer afraid of dead cap. Uh, you, you know, the, the, the Carson Wentz situation is massive dead cap. Um, all of these void years, what basically what you're saying is is we're fine with – having dead cap hit our, our table when this player leaves, not on our terms, even if he plays out the entire contract, you know, Drew Brees to retire is going to have a 22 and change dead cap hit to walk away from football. Uh, that that's where we are now with, with the moniker of dead cap teams are so unafraid of it that they're willing to, to build it into the post career of a player with that team. Um, so I think we're going to see a ton of them. I really do. I think we've, I mean, if, if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to start using them, everybody's in because that's the last team in the league that ever wanted to have dead cap on their roster. So to me, it's a, that seal is completely broken. All right, real quick. Uh, and maybe we'll finish up here back to kind of the process of getting a prospect ready for the NFL. We, you and I have talked a lot about this and it's really fascinating 
Um, but again, times are different. Times may not be going back to how they used to be. I wonder how the training process is going because that's always a big part of a, a college player's ascent into the NFL. You know, there's tens of thousands of dollars built into specific training processes to get them into the NFL, whether it's ready for the draft or for a UDFA standpoint. Is that stuff still happening right now, Shane, or are those kind of facilities really struggling to get through this situation right now? Yeah, I mean, holy cow, we could probably spend a whole podcast <laughs> My bad. about how, how different uh, <laughs> uh, training is. But, you know, really to, to, to summarize it, at least for this particular year, is, again, like everything else, I mean, the, 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 the challenges are just so different, yet they're ultimately the same, right? The end goal is you got to get your players ready for pro day and for testing and for interviews in this whole process because the draft is, you know, it's clearly still happening. Um, that being said that, you know, just the COVID challenges alone have changed a lot of things, but something that I, I really haven't seen talked about too much is just how much smaller this draft class is in mm -hmm. general, you know, in any given year, you, you might have about 1200, 1300, 1400 players sign standard representation agreements with with agents you know players that that have a legitimate shot of getting drafted you know signing to U, uh, udfa or you know maybe getting some tryouts at rookie mini games because every player had the option to return for another year of eligibility this year's draft class is a lot smaller maybe as small as 600 to 700 players wow. i mean you, you typically have about five to 600 players either get drafted or signed immediately after the draft. And then you have a ton more tryout or later signing. I mean, if you entered the draft this year, if it was a good calculated decision, you know, based on what your stock might be and where you might be going, it might've been a really good choice. And, and next year's is going to be a lot bigger. So in terms of training facilities, they've actually kind of been hurting a little bit, at least some of them, they just haven't had quite the same draft class size. So that's, to me, that's really interesting and, and how, what that means for the draft and the UDFA process. I think we'll know a little bit more. Obviously, it gets closer, but I haven't seen that talked about a lot. I mean, there was a lot of a lot, a lot of players that decided to go back and a lot of them made the absolutely right decision. You know, um, a lot of players decided to come out or at least forego their eligibility. And maybe some of those guys will end up going higher just because, again, there's just not as many players in this draft class. So one thing I mean that we talked about a lot um in terms of getting our players ready it's just you know making sure they're they're at a facility that's you know smartly approaching covid you know and doing the right things because the last thing you'd ever want is a player you know a week before his pro day to get sick or to have his training interrupted and so that's created some challenges too right it's just making sure okay if the pro days you know this day you know make sure training is stopped you know, so many days before, make sure the players still working out, but quarantining outside of it. I mean, it's really created a lot of challenges and, you know, like everything else, you just try your best to adapt to them and, and see how it goes. And then the other thing too, is obviously without the combine, a lot of interviews and a lot of the information gathering that teams are doing um, has been, has been spent, you know, via zoom, right. And phone calls and doing all that stuff. So when right now, a lot of players are, spending a ton of time on zoom, you know, going from interview to interview or call to call. And that's kind of been a little bit different in terms of how it's normally done. You know, there's no top 30 visits this year where players are going into teams facilities to, you know, have dinner and, and, and interview with coaches and executives. And instead it's all kind of happening again, via zoom and phone calls. So definitely a, um, a little bit different on that end too, you know, in terms of preparing, you know, our players for, 
kind of that process. But, you know, again, it's, it's like anything else, you know, we're just taking the day at a time and, 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 uh, you know, preparing the best we can. Well, you're right. That, that draft class next year then, right. It could be 30% bigger than usual. I mean, it might be impossible to get drafted. You're going to have a huge UDFA class next year. Huge. Yeah. And, and, you know, all all the players too, at least. So there's going to be the, you know, the quote unquote super seniors that, that have no eligibility left that are automatically in the class. Then you're going to have the players, you know, that are seniors that have another uh, year of eligibility. And then you'll have, of course, the juniors and then the, you know, the registered sophomores that, that can come out because they're not eligible. So if you're looking at, at 30% might be low. I mean, it, it could be 50%, you know, it, it could be higher, you know, it, it really could be huge. And so, again, there, there's a lot of players that, you know, they, they made a really good decision to to return for their extra, you know, whether they needed more film, you know, whether they needed to improve certain things. There are also some players too that, again, probably made the right decision coming out this year because, again, it's just just less competition for spots this year. And there's going to be, you know, uh, if teams have the same UDFA, you know, allocation on their rosters, which I assume that they will at this point, I mean, there's going to be some guys that maybe – because it came out this year are going to end up signing with a team and getting a shot in training camp. Yeah, no question. I mean, any team trying to turn a $4 million player into a UDFA contract right now, you know what I mean? That's going to be the, <laughs> that's going to be the name of the game for a lot of teams in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I'll get you out yep. here on this and, and obviously nothing specific. And I don't, I don't want to get you in any trouble here. Uh, just your thoughts from kind of like an, art, an armchair GM agent standpoint. You're in the room right now negotiating with a, a middle-class vet, all right? Like a, you know, a guy, one of those four to five million dollar guys I'm talking about. You know, that he's being offered a, a one year for less than that, you know, two to three or a two year, maybe eight or nine million dollar deal, but, you know, nothing guaranteed in year two. Where's your head right now with that, Shane? You know, knowing where we are today with the cap, knowing where we may be next year with the cap, um, you know, from an agent standpoint, from kind of how you have to approach things, is getting that second year worth it? to the player and you specifically, or is it really easier right now from, from all standpoints to just get in and get out this year and, and let's do this thing again next year? Boy, I'll tell you, 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 this sounds like a bland answer, but it's, it's, it's really true. It really depends on, you know, the, the, the thought process and the philosophy of your client too. I'll, I'll tell you right now, there, there's a lot of players who are, are saying, okay, you know, yeah, maybe we'll have to take slightly less this year, but I'm willing to bet on myself and hit a bigger market next year. Mm-hmm. You're also going to have some clients that, you know, maybe want a little bit more security, you know, and, and will take a two or three year deal. And, you know, there, there's teams that think both ways too, you know, it's, it's really interesting uh, what, what's going to happen over the next two or three weeks. Personally, I mean, I'm always going to bet on my clients. I'm always going to, you know, tell them, Hey, uh, this is, this is maybe what the deal is now, but you know, things are looking better in the future too. And a lot of guys are going to see that and say, Hey, I'll, I'll take a shorter, smaller one-year deal. Um, and and maybe some teams want to do that too, because sometimes a one-year deal for them too is, is easier for planning purposes and maybe it works out. And sometimes it's a really good problem to have if you're a team that you know, you, you, you took a one-year deal on a player and he turns out to be really, really good and how you got to pay him, you know, uh, quite a bit to, to keep him from free agency. So, you know, I, I think you're just going to see such a wide variety of, of philosophies and, 
and differences from not just from team to team, but player to player too, you know, depending what age they are in their career, you know, what they're willing to do, you know, how much is going to be guaranteed too? you know, am I going to go into training camp and, you know, if it doesn't work out and I'm not a fit there, you know, I at least have some security or guarantee that, you know, uh, for part of my deal. So there's just going to be a lot of philosophies and it really goes back to kind of, you know, again, you know, one of the first questions we talked about in terms of sharing information, you know, making sure that everybody's communicating and being on the same page and, and seeing what exactly is going on out there. And again, it's really just going to vary so much from player to player and team to team for sure. He's the player agent and director of football operations for Generation Sports Group. Shane, you're the best, man. Thank you. Thanks so much, Mike. Really appreciate you having me on. My thanks to Shane Costa, NFL player agent and director of football operations for the Generation Sports Group. And to Sal Capaccio, the Bills beat reporter for WGR 550 and the sideline reporter as well. Super invested in the Buffalo Bills. A lot of good info there as usual. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track. Get yourself 40% off your first year subscription. My name is Mike Tunetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast. Podcast.